Well, good morning. Please have a seat. You're in for a big treat uh, in the next five weeks because we are studying Second Peter, uh, and I love the way that Peter writes. Uh, the Bible is an interesting book, and I really enjoy studying it. But some places in the Bible are far more difficult for me to want to study. Uh, they they just don't they don't jump off of the page. But but when I read First and Second Peter, it, it just makes sense to me. It just it kind of comes to life as I'm reading it. I don't need uh, commentaries. I still use them. I I don't need Bible dictionaries. The things he says it just makes sense. He in my mind writes much more like uh, an English writer um, more than he does a a Hebrew writer. He writes in a way that linear. Uh, one point leads to another point and everything kind of makes sense. And not all of the Bible is that way. And some of you know this, but First Peter uh, was the first book I ever taught through uh, with our youth group here at Creekside and uh, is by far my favorite book in the Bible. I, I, I love it. I, I, if I had to go onto a deserted island and I needed one book, it would definitely be the book of First Peter because it contains everything that we need to know for the gospel and, and for living uh, the life that God has called us to. Uh, and it's pretty encouraging, too. And if I was by myself on an island, I would need that. So I uh, as I flip to Second Peter and I begin to take a look at it, I am already amazed. And uh, you got to understand when this book is being written. First of all, Paul has died, uh, not Peter. Paul. Paul has died, uh, and and so they no longer have his influence in kind of the the churches outside of the Jerusalem area. And Peter knows that he is about to die. He has uh, already uh, been been under persecution and he knows Nero is in power and Nero hates Christians. And, and he really sees in his own life that, that his death is imminent. It's going to take place very soon. And Peter understands that with Paul dead and him about to die, there is a, a big fear of the fringe churches, the churches that are further away from Jerusalem, kind of the center of, of Christianity at that point, uh, really falling into the trap of believing false teachers. If you're close to the center and you're close to, to the other uh, disciples and apostles who are still alive, then that, that risk isn't as great. But if, if you're kind of in the outskirts, if you're far away from the center of Christianity, then, then really you, you might not know exactly what to believe, especially if Paul isn't around to, to tell you anymore and if Peter is dead. And so Peter, in book of Second Peter, gives off his final shot. These are his final words. This is, hey, I'm going to die and this is what you need to know. Now, in First Peter, uh, Peter gives off some very specific things, you know, love your spouses and, uh, and work hard and things like that. But in Second Peter, we don't see that. We see him give broad strokes and say, look, this is how you can determine what to do when I am gone. He's looking at these people and he's saying, look, I, I can't tell you every, every single thing. I can't write you a letter big enough so that I can tell you each situation in your entire life. But I can write you a letter that tells you how to know what truth is in, in your life. Now, Peter doesn't use the word truth. He uses the word knowledge. But, but really, when he uses it, he uses it in a way that, that we would understand it to mean truth. Uh, and so we'll talk about knowledge a lot throughout. And What's cool about this book is I think it speaks directly to our situation in life. It seems like as you look at our world and our country, there are certain periods when things are just more difficult um, 
the situation makes it more difficult for us to really figure out what truth is, right? I've uh, been watching The Wonder Years, and I'll probably talk about The Wonder Years every week from here on out, because it is a brilliantly written show and clean and wonderful, so if you have Netflix, watch The Wonder Years. Uh, but one of the episodes, he said something that, that I think was very profound. Now, the setting is the 1960s. It was uh, The show was in the 1980s, but the setting is the late 60s, early 70s, and he's a middle school kid. And they're watching this video in class, and... I don't remember what it was on, but kind of the changing world that they were living in. And if you know the 60s, it was a a changing world. And he says in the middle of that, the monologue, the, the adult voice talking back about his childhood, he says, we were trying to figure ourselves out, but it was really difficult because the world was trying to figure itself out. And it was this profound thought. It's more difficult, right, to figure out what we should be doing and what we should be believing when the world around us doesn't seem to know what that is anymore. And and we, again, here in 2011, seem to live in a time where that situation is, again, here. We we live in a time when the world is, is especially our country, is trying to figure itself out out, you know? Should I hate my country? Should I love my country? Uh, should I be a Republican or a Democrat because they're so opposite? Uh, do I believe anything that I feel? Or, or do is there some type of, of source of truth that I should be looking to? Is morality relative? Or, or should all of morality be the same for every culture everywhere? Should I believe the stuff that's on TV? Should I believe the stuff I read on Wikipedia? Should I believe the stuff that my parents told me? Or should I believe the stuff that, that my contemporaries tell me, the people I work with? But it all seems different. You know, I can hear one thing and then I go somewhere else and I hear the exact opposite. And both of these people are people that I respect and I think highly of. And and we live in this culture right now where it's really difficult for us to determine what truth is and, and if, in Peter's word, what knowledge is. What is it to, to live a good life? What should I believe about God? How should I go about my business? Uh, what should my life be like? It is a difficult time right now for all of us, no matter what age we are at, to figure out what that should look like. You know, you go back 70 years ago in our country, and 70 is not a good number because you're probably in the Depression. That was a bad number. You go back 60 years ago or so, and, and it just seems simpler, right? And we watch TV shows, and they don't sleep in the same bed and uh, because it was immoral to show that on television, and, and people just kind of did their things in life. The, the woman cooked and cleaned, and, and the dad went off to work and loved his kids through making money and things like that. But it's just not that simple anymore. I mean, picking a career, knowing what to do with life, making choices on a daily basis is really not that simple. And so when we turn to the book of Second Peter, it's awesome because Peter says, look, here it is. I'm going to help you know how to make choices in life. I'm not going to tell you what choices to make because I don't, I don't have enough paper for that, but I am going to tell you how you can make choices in life. Now, Peter talks about this, and, and, and he talks in terms of vision, and that's why the name of the sermon series is Vision. He, he talks in terms of us being able to see. And when you look at our world right now, especially our country, it seems kind of like a dimly lit place, right? It seems like a place where it's, it's hard to see what truth is. And Peter, in his book, writes to us and says, look, if you want to see better, if you want to determine what truth is, here is the way that you can have 2020 vision when it comes to truth and to knowledge and to your life in general. And so that is what we're going to be talking about over the next 
five weeks. I think it's an important subject, and and here is something that that maybe you can keep in mind. I don't I don't often ask you to invite people to our services, but uh, I think we've taken steps forward, and I think this right here speaks to a world that is clueless, that is thinking, what is it I should believe? I think Second Peter speaks specifically to to a lost world, and so if you have somebody that's lost, I would encourage you to bring them on a Sunday morning. So we pick up in verse one, and and here's the great thing. This is why I love Peter. Everything he says, like every single word, I feel like I could preach a sermon on. Where sometimes, like in the book of Nehemiah, I'm like, man, I got to find a sermon in all this mess, you know? And uh, those people are going to show up on Sunday, and I better have something to say, right? And so, spend hours trying to figure out what I'm talking about. Peter, it's like he opens his his mouth, and and he did have a big mouth, right? When you look at Peter, and it's like, man, that makes sense to me. Like, I want to teach about that. And it starts right at the very beginning here. He says, Simon Peter, a servant an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter himself could be a sermon, right? Uh, this is the guy who was one of the 12 disciples. Uh, he was one of the uh, original apostles, as, as he mentions there. He's the guy that walked on water. He was one of Jesus' three closest friends when Jesus was walking around on the earth. He denied Jesus three times. Uh, we could have a whole sermon about that. He, he was a guy with a big mouth who, who wasn't afraid to say, hey, Jesus, you're wrong. Uh, and, and Jesus was right, but he wasn't afraid to say it anyway. Uh, he he was this amazing character that, that I think is a lot like me, and that's probably why I understand him. He just he, he wasn't afraid to talk, uh, even if he wasn't right, right? And, and so Peter Peter says, "Look, I'm the guy writing," and that's important for us because because of what he says next. He says, first of all, he's a servant of Jesus." Now, <clears throat> this word is actually better translated "slave." Uh, and what's fascinating about this is, is, is being a slave, being the word doulos is the Greek word, would have been the lowest position in all of society. They had no rights. We've talked about that before, how Paul elevated the place of slaves in, in the society in which he lived because the slaves had zero rights. They were not treated as people. They were not thought of as, as human beings. They were thought of as as slaves, something that got uh, stuff done for you. They were really thought of as machines or robots that took care of the things that you didn't want to, to take care of. And here Peter says, I am a slave of Jesus. I am fully his servant. I, I do what Jesus wants. I am, I am just one of the people that is trying to do whatever Jesus commands of me. And he takes this low position. But what's really neat in the Bible, especially in, in Paul and Peter, is that they don't use this word like it's a bad thing. Not like, oh man, this Jesus character, he's telling me what to do all the time. But they almost use it as like a term of honor. I am a slave of Jesus. I, I am a servant of Jesus. I do what Jesus wants me to do. Now, on the opposite side of this, he says, I am an apostle of Jesus. Now, an apostle was the highest position in the early church. And so he takes the lowest position of society and the highest position in the early church, and he combines them together. And in some ways, all people are, are supposed to be apostles. But Peter here is using it in the technical sense. I am one of 12 guys who has been ordained by Jesus himself to be a leader of the early church. Church. That is what Peter is saying to us. And when he says this, what he's saying is, I'm speaking as the mouthpiece of Jesus. I'm not offering you my good ideas. I am not offering you uh, just some words that, that you should live by because I'm kind of a big shot. He's saying, look, when I write this letter to you right here, I am writing on behalf of God himself. I am writing as an apostle of Jesus 
Christ. And so Peter, on two sides of this, says, look, this is all about Jesus. He says, I am a servant of Jesus, a slave of Jesus, and whatever I write is because Jesus wants me to write it. And then he says, I am an apostle of Jesus, so when I write, in this authority and with this title, I am writing something that, that God himself is trying to say to you. And so he opens the book by saying, look, this is all about Jesus. Jesus wants you to have knowledge. And then he identifies the audience. He says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Now, a couple things just jump off of, of this page here. First of all, uh, he says, to those who have received this, this righteousness. And uh, this word is, is actually a, a Greek word that is most of the time used for uh, when they would, would, they would uh, do the lot thing. It was like drawing sticks and, and whoever had the short end won, right? And so this Greek word is actually translated. It, when people define it, they say it is, it is to receive something like receiving lots. And so we see examples of that. In the New Testament, uh, Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's dad, it says that he received by lot the ability to go into the inner sanctuary and offer sacrifices. And, and if you know the story, that's when he finds out that he's going to have a son and, and God makes him mute for a little while because he doesn't believe. Uh, the Roman soldiers cast lots, same, same word, they received uh, in, in order to see who would get Jesus' clothing uh, as Jesus was dying on the cross. And then a man named Judas, not Iscariot, not the one who betrayed Jesus, but another man named Judas wins the lot, and so he becomes the 12th apostle in the early church. And so when Peter says here that, that this righteousness, this thing that we have, have gotten, the salvation, talking to Christians, when he says it's received, what he is saying, in essence, in our language, is, hey, you're lucky to have this salvation. Right? Have you ever just looked at people who are lucky and you think, man, that person is so lucky. They have a great voice or they're just super good looking or they won the lottery because that'd be good too. Or, you know, those people are lucky. I don't have that kind of luck in my life. Well, what Peter is saying is, is, is you, you are lucky to be offered salvation. Now, he's not saying it's luck like you won the lottery or uh, you pulled the right slot machine or something like that. He is just emphasizing that you didn't deserve it. It's just this amazing gift that, that you have been given by God. We have been offered the gift of salvation through Jesus, and we should say, you know, uh, hey, this is so lucky of me. I mean, this is great. Like, this isn't just something that, sure, of course God gave it to me. He's gracious, and that's what he had to do. No, no. This is awesome that we get to enter into a relationship with Jesus. It is, it is not something that we deserve. It is not something that, that everybody will come to. Only certain people will, will actually enter into that relationship. And so we should count ourselves blessed to be able to call ourselves Christians if we have given our lives to Jesus. Now he says that, that this has been received through the righteousness of, of our God and Savior, right? The, the faith that we have is, is, has been received through the righteousness of our God and Savior. Now, uh, the word righteousness there probably uh, could mean two things. The first is, is it could just mean just. And so our just God has allowed for us to enter into a relationship with Jesus, to have faith. Now, uh, this is important for us to see because Peter here is writing to a, a uh, Gentile audience. He is not writing to Jews. And so some of the flavor of what we read in this book is because he's writing to Gentiles. And so he's saying, hey, look, uh, you, because God is fair, uh, are able to enter into this relationship 
with Jesus. Now, this is cool for us because we are Gentiles in this room, the majority of us, right? And so, so it applies. We may not think of it that way because Gentiles have been Christians for 2,000 years. But what Peter is saying is, hey, look, it's only because God is fair that you have the right to come to a faith in Jesus. It's only because God does not play favorites that you can enter into a relationship with him. Now, the other, the other way that we can see this and probably should see this is that we are able to enter into faith because of the righteousness of Jesus. Now, it's called imputed righteousness in theological terms. And basically, the idea is this. Jesus was righteous. He was perfect. He did not sin. He did everything right. And so he, by dying on, on our behalf, was able to give us his righteousness so that we have a right relationship with God. And God can look at us as pure and holy and allow us to enter into a relationship with him. Some people want to work and say, I got I to gotta do good things and I'll get into heaven. Uh, uh, Coldplay uh, has has a song that says, actually, uh, uh, for some reason I know that when uh, St. Peter sees me, he'll let me in, basically. That's that's a, the, the essence of it. But, but St. Peter's talking here, and he's saying, no, it's not about me letting you in because of some reason, exactly Coldplay's words. Uh, he's saying, look, you're going to be able to get into heaven. You are able to come into a relationship with Jesus because Jesus was perfect, and he died on your behalf so that you could have in, in in a way, his perfection and be allowed into into the kingdom of heaven someday when you die or Jesus returns to this earth. You see that? And so the righteousness that leads to our faith is the righteousness of Jesus that has been granted unto us. And then he says a faith as precious as ours. And in English, we think precious like good, but uh, it's not as cool as that. It actually just means it's equal to the faith that Peter has. And so Peter is an apostle of Jesus as my faith is equal to your faith. And then he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, two times here, he he alludes to this idea of of Jesus being God and Lord. You see it at the end of verse 2, and then you see it again here in in verse 3. In verse 3, it doesn't actually call Jesus God, but in verse 2, the Greek is very, very clear. He, He says, our God and Savior Jesus. He isn't saying our God and this other guy named Jesus. He is saying our God, Jesus. Now, a lot of people will dispute and say, well, Jesus wasn't God. But, but here at Creekside and, and in most of Christendom, we believe in something called the Trinity. And people say, well, how uh, can you believe that, that there is one God, but there are three persons who make up this Godhead? How is that even possible? And I'm not here to answer that question today, uh, but I am here to tell you that that is what the Bible teaches. The Bible makes very clear in many passages of Scripture that Jesus is God and that the Father is also God. And they are separate, but they are one, all in the same. And and here, Jesus is called God. And so when you look at the person of Jesus, what you are seeing is God come to this earth in human form. People will say, well, the Bible doesn't say that, but it does say that. It is, it is straightforward here in John 20, 28. We see the same thing. Thomas looks at Jesus and says, my Lord and my God. He isn't talking about Jesus and somebody else. He's saying, you are God. And he falls down at his feet and he starts worshiping Jesus. And here again, Peter says, this happens through our God, Jesus. It happens through our God, Jesus. And, and the things that happen are grace and peace and abundance. And uh, the order there is important, I think, in Peter because... Grace leads to peace in our lives. And those are just pretty typical greetings for Jewish people. But he's saying, look, the grace of God in your life and and the peace in your life, I want them to be yours in abundance. 
And then he, he goes on to the meat of this passage. He says, His divine power has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. So he says here that because of the power of God, we now have the, the ability and the, the everything that we need for life and godliness. Two words. First of all, life. It refers to eternal life. Through Jesus and what Jesus did when he died on a cross for your sins so that you could have his righteousness. Through that, we have everything that we need for eternal life. Now, when we hear eternal life, our first thought is heaven, right? For most of us. We think eternal life. Someday I'll be in heaven and I'll have eternal life. But the Bible doesn't teach that, per se. The Bible teaches that when we become Christians, we have eternal life forever and ever. And so when Peter says here that we have everything for life, he isn't saying someday you are going to get eternal life. He's saying right now you have eternal life. And that is why you can recognize the grace and the peace in in your life. It has begun. And that's true, right? Just logically, if you're going to live forever and you're alive, then it's already started. It makes sense, right? And so that is what Peter's saying. He's saying, look, right now in this moment, you have everything that you need for life. Now, Peter makes clear, and especially in the book of First Peter, but also in, in chapter 3 of Second Peter, he, he makes clear that someday it's going to get better. I mean, this isn't the end-all, be-all. Just because eternal life has started, it, perfect eternal life hasn't started. And Peter is excited. If you read the book of First Peter, he is so excited that someday Jesus is going to come back. And it's the driving force of, of his life, really, and, and his writings, is that someday he gets to see his best friend Jesus again, and it's going to be perfect and wonderful. But, but here Peter is saying, look, right now in this moment, you have eternal life, and you also have everything that you need for godliness. Now, this is a word that's, that's, that is difficult to understand it. Uh, it. It really means to be godlike in some way. And the best way for us to probably see it is, is really just morality. We have everything that we need to have the morality of God and to live a life of holiness, which is another way uh, that I think we could say. Now, in First Peter again, Peter says, uh, be perfect because God is perfect. And I think he's coming back to that idea here. And, and, and when I read that in First Peter, I'm like, oh, are you kidding me, Peter? That's really difficult. Like to live the perfect life, to stop sinning, I, I don't know that I can ever achieve that. But Peter comes back to it here and says, hey, look, God's given you everything so that that can happen. Now, it may never happen. You may never achieve that. But it's not because you don't have the things that you need for it to happen. When we sin in our lives, we can't look at God and go, well, it just, it was too much. It, it was too difficult. I, I couldn't, I couldn't not do that thing because here Peter is saying, when it comes to morality and when it comes to living a good life, God has given us everything as we have come to a faith in Him so that we can be perfect as our Heavenly Father in Heaven is perfect. And so he says that we have everything that we need for eternal life and for a life that reflects the glory of God and we have it through the knowledge of Him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Notice, first time he uses the word knowledge here. He's going to use the word knowledge in one form or another 15 times in three chapters. It is the driving force, as I said. And, and here, Peter uses it for the first time. And what's interesting about Peter is, is he uses it in two different ways throughout his writings. The first way that he uses it is actually a slightly different word. It's, it's epinosis. And the other word is just gnosis. And when Peter says epinosis, what he is saying is salvation, conversion. The moment that you said, I, I, I believe that Jesus gave his life for me and that I'm a sinner and so I'm giving my life to Jesus. And, and so Peter uses epinosis 
for that purpose, to say the moment that you became a, a Christian. And here he says, in that one moment, you, you were given everything that you needed for life and, and godliness. And he uses this word knowledge. And, and then he says that it comes through his, uh, God's glory and his excellence. Now, uh, a lot of people will jump here to the word called and say, look, you have to be called to be a Christian. And I, and I agree with that. I, I think that every person who comes to Christ needs to be called uh, in, into salvation. Uh, but I don't believe that God is only calling some people into that relationship with him. Uh, so forgive me for saying that. I know some of you disagree with me, but I don't think so. And one of the reasons I don't think so is because of this passage of Scripture right here. Peter says that people are being called to God, that we have been called to our, our salvation. How? By his own glory and excellence. He doesn't say it's some magical kind of thing. He says, you have been called by God's glory and excellence. Glory is, is a word that is used throughout the Bible for just God's bigness and his shininess and his amazingness and all of the things that we kind of think about when we think of God out there somewhere who is powerful and amazing and created the stars and everything that we see on this earth. That is the first word. And so Peter says the first way that we are called into a relationship with God is, is by the, the amazingness of God. Just how big and, and powerful and wonderful he is. The second thing that he says is his excellence. His moral goodness. The way that he has treated humanity. The fact that Jesus came to die for our sins despite the fact that we were the ones who sinned. And Peter's saying people are called into a relationship with God because God is amazing and God is good to us. And one author said it. Just like this, if I can find it, he says, His character becomes exceedingly attractive to them, and they trust God for their salvation. That is how people are called into a relationship with God. And so Peter is saying here, when people come to this relationship with Jesus because they recognize how amazing God is and how good he has been to humans, when that happens, it's a moment of knowledge. It's a knowledge of that salvation. But what I think Peter is saying, it is, it is the first it is the first moment when you can have real knowledge in your life. It is the first moment when you can start to figure out this world in a world that is going crazy. When you can start to say, well, I should live my life this way. I should do this. I can see things clearly. And, and Peter here is saying to us that the moment that begins is the moment that you're called into a relationship with Jesus because you recognize how powerful, wonderful, and amazing he is and how good he has been to us through the cross. That is the first moment that we can really see in this world that is dimly lit. Now he goes on here, he says that, this, that through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through him you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So we're running out of time quickly, and I, this is going to happen every single week. Um, and, and I love Peter. Um, I just, uh, I told you I could, pre we could spend, we could spend 50 weeks on the book of Second Peter. Uh, we're not going to, Christmas is coming, and, uh, and when you guys probably want a Christmas sermon, but, uh, but we're running out of time already, and so we're going to make this a little bit shorter, and, and we'll get to the, to the real point here, okay? Uh, and so Peter says, look, through this, you have promises, and, and those promises are twofold. Someday you get to go to heaven. That's awesome, right? And the other promise is, is, again, that you have everything that you need for godliness, right? So Peter looks at us again, and he says, you have everything that you need to be like God because of your salvation. 
And today I've titled the sermon, The Glasses of Godliness, because what Peter is saying is, is really, when we come to salvation, we see for the first time, it's like putting glasses on when you've been walking around seeing everybody as trees and everything's been blurry for a really long time. We start to see knowledge for what it really is. And what's cool is that Peter says, goes on, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and the goodness knowledge and the knowledge self-control and the self-control perseverance and the perseverance godliness and the godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing he says is when you come to salvation, you get the glasses. But now, if you want to see more clearly, you need to work at being more like God. Now, he uses eight terms, and, and we could look at those terms, and we could dive into them deeply, and I would if I had another half hour. Uh, but we don't need to, because he isn't trying to say this is everything about the Christian faith. What he is saying is here are some things that represent godliness. Here are some things that represent you being more like Jesus. And if you will strive and work at putting these things into your life, then you will start to see truth more clearly. He says it in the next verse in the opposite way. He says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will, uh, sorry, I read that, uh, but whoever does not have them is, notice it, nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. If you are not having these in your life, and you're not increasing in these, then you are taking a step backwards when it comes to seeing knowledge. At the moment of salvation, when you get on your knees and you accept Jesus, say, Jesus, I understand how amazing your grace is, you get your glasses. And from that point on, you have two choices. You can learn to see better by trying to become more like God, or you can become more blind. You can become more nearsighted. Nearsighted actually probably refers to closing your eyes. You can shut your eyes and say, I don't care what truth is. I don't care how I should live. I don't care what is right and what is wrong. Uh, I don't care. And you become unproductive and unfruitful in your faith. But Peter is saying, if you will put on the glasses of salvation and you will strive to be like God through, through being uh, a person of perseverance and through being a person who loves and through being a person who has self-control in your life and you add these things and you work at them. You actually work at them. You don't say, I'm a Christian. Now you work at them. Then you will begin to see what knowledge is more clearly all of the time. What I want you to see today is just that, is that we have the opportunity, if we give our lives to Christ, to really understand what truth is, to understand what knowledge is in all aspects of our life. You look at our marriage and say, my marriage, and say, how should I treat Bryn today? Well, I, I can see that clearly if I am already a Christian and working towards living a godly life. I say, what should my next job be? Should I, should I change careers? Should I do something different? Well, I can see that more clearly if I'm already a Christian and I'm working to live a godly life. You say, how is it that I should treat my coworkers? Something we've been talking about the last several weeks. Well, if you're already a Christian and you're striving to live a godly life, then that is going to be more and more clear to you. You have a question about, about what is right and what is wrong? Well, if you're striving to live for Jesus and you're striving to become more like Him and you've already given your life to Him, then, then you're going to see it more and more clearly. What happens a lot of times, I think, for Christians is they accept Jesus, they get the glasses on, they go, whoa, I can see. The world makes sense to me. And then 
we just leave them there or they stay there on their own uh, accord and, and they never move forward and they become more and more blind. They become nearsighted and they stop seeing truth for what it is and, and eventually they forget all about the salvation. That's what Peter says here that, that they got on that single moment when they gave their lives to Jesus. And so today what I say to you is no matter what it is in life, because Peter is not trying to say, hey, here are a bunch of specific things. Peter's saying, you want to know? You want to know truth? You want to know how it is to live, how you should live your life, what is right, what is wrong, what the next step is, what the course is, should I marry this person, should I date that person for you younger people? Uh, You want to know what it all is all about? Well, here's the first step. Godliness. Put on the glasses of godliness by accepting Jesus as your Savior and then strive to become more like Him. If you will do that, then you will start to see things so clearly. I, I was—I just finished up my sermon last night. Yes, I just finished up my sermon last night. Forgive me, Dad. Uh, and uh, I was—I was walking around Salem praying because I figured if I went home, I, I would fall asleep. And and uh, Halloween weekend, oh joy! Uh, and and I'm I'm seeing girls in in less clothing than they should be wearing by a lot. So they should just put clothing on. Uh, and I'm seeing drunk people everywhere and. Uh, and, and I'm walking around and praying about this, you know, and, and all of a sudden it kind of made sense to me. It's like these people don't get what I get. They, they don't have the knowledge that I have. And some people will say, well, now you're being judgmental and all that. I'm not judging them. I'm just telling you the truth. These people don't understand the world the way that I understand the world. They are, they are walking around without glasses, because they are not striving to live for Jesus. I don't know, some of them maybe are Christians, but, but they weren't striving to live for Jesus last night, and so they were seeing the world less and less clearly. And, and, and they probably thought it was awesome, and it was the best thing ever, but I was able to look and go, this is, this is not what life is about. This isn't, this isn't fun. You'll probably regret this in the morning. It's not good. And, and a lot of times I think we neglect that as Christians. We think, yeah, we got this viewpoint. But it's not just a viewpoint. We can see. And we can see clearer if we will strive to live for God more and more all the time. The world wants it. They just don't know how to get it. We can have it as Christians. And so I would encourage you to, to start to see things better, to start to have a closer to 2020 vision in a, in a dimly lit world. Will you pray with me? Father, uh, thank you for your word. It's fantastic, God. Um, don't know where we'd be without it, God, in our lives. And <clears throat> Lord, uh, just pray that that we would follow your words in this passage of Scripture, God. It's, uh, it's so amazing, God. We, we ran out of time a little bit, but uh, you teach us, God, the first step to, to really seeing things for what they should be, Lord, uh, for, for solving all the answers, uh, all the questions, excuse me, God, that we have for, for answering them, Lord. Um, God, as we'll see as we move through Second Peter, Lord, uh, people try many different things. To, to answer those those life questions, God, the big ones, the small ones, the easy ones, the tough ones. But Lord, remind us that that, that we just need to give our lives to you and then, and then strive to live for you. It's pretty simple, God. Hard to do, Lord, but it's a pretty simple concept. And so I pray for each of us in this room, uh, God, not that we would just leave here and think, "Wow, that's great." But but when we when we go through our lives this week and and forever forever more, God, I pray that that, God, we would really just be seeking to live our lives for you. That it wouldn't just be kind of a passive Christianity that we have, Lord, but it would be uh, Christianity that causes us, to, causes us just to, to try to do everything that we can to be more like you, Jesus. Uh, Lord, uh, 
It's all wrapped up in your grace, God. It's all wrapped up in the fact that you have given us your righteousness, Lord. That you loved us enough to, to die for our sins. And I pray that every day we would think about that and strive to live for you so that we will never become nearsighted and blind, Lord. I love you, God. I thank you so much for that. I pray that it would just drive drive everything that we do, Lord. Let us let us not be driven by the ways of the world, God, but, but let us be driven by you, God, because it is... It's really the only truth, God. It's the only knowledge is through you, Lord. And the world can look at their books and, and their ideas, Lord. But, but true knowledge, knowledge that leads to a better life, can only come from the glasses of godliness. And I pray, God, you remind us of that this week. Love you, Lord. Pray these things because you died. Amen.